You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Thank you so much for downloading this special podcast from us here at Virgin Radio. This week we recorded a heartwarming and very moving chat with Barbara Windsor's husband, Scott Mitchell. We talked about their lives together, how they met, the ups, the downs, and how they're now living with dementia. Plus, how running is playing an important part in moving all of that forward. So, Scott, when did you first set eyes on Barbara Windsor? I first set eyes on Barbara Windsor in... The, it was the end of 1992, and she was staying at a lovely actor's house called Victor Spinetti, the wonderful Victor Spinetti, who Barbara and Victor had been in on Broadway together and at Stratford East and all these places. It was this lovely Welsh actor. And the reason that I set eyes on her was because Barbara and my mum went to dancing school together when they were between the ages of 11 and 14. So they knew each other and always got on really well. I'd just left drama school. I was down in Sussex. That's where we lived. We lived down in Hove. And my mum said to me, uh, oh, by the way, our old friend Barbara Windsor's down here in pantomime at the Theatre Royal and we've invited her over for dinner. So why don't you stay and have dinner with the three of us? And I said, I said, I said, I'm not being funny. I said, I'm 29 years of age. Why do I want to sit with you two and Barbara Windsor and have dinner? <laughs> Which was a really bizarre thing to say. But my mum said, oh, I'm surprised at you, Scott. You know, she's so knowledgeable about the business. She's such a lovely lady, your lover. And then I kind of checked myself and thought, yeah, what a weird reaction that was. And I did. And I, I came back down the next day and uh, I went to pick Barbara up. And I remember her opening the door and this, like, vivacious, really, really, like little cracker opened the door looking at me and it nothing like I expected her to be. And we just stood there and kind of looked at each other. I said, hi, I'm Scott, Rita's son. And she said, uh, oh, well, you're going to have to come in because I'm not ready yet. Meanwhile, she had a coat on, she had everything on, she had a bag in her hand. She was ready and she told me after it's so she could get a closer look at me. So that was it. We chatted on the way up in the car. We had the most fantastic dinner. A friend of ours, guy, an old actor called Brian Hall, who was in 40 Towers. He was the chef in 40 Towers. And he was round there, friend of mum and dad's with his wife. And we just had this incredible evening. We all got drunk and, you know, it was just magical. It really was. And Barbara and I kept in touch, you know, for the next few months. Then she was doing a play, which she hadn't done for a long time, and phoned me and said, I know that, you know, you're just out of college, etc. I'm really worried about doing this play. Would you like to come and help me learn my lines? So that's how she got me down to the house. You see, this this was the uh, this was the thing. <laughs> so, so that's how we really. How did, how did the lines go? Oh, the lines were fantastic. You know, <laughs> I, I thought I was quite riveting in my performance, playing everyone. Did it help? Huh, do you think? <laughs> I think it helped. Uh, I think it helped. It certainly helped us. That was for sure. So, what happened next? Well, we just really started to get to know each other. We were chatting. We were talking about life, and I and I realised because at the time Barbara was still married to her second husband, unbeknown uh, to the public. They were living kind of separate lives by then. He was living over in the pub and uh, Barbara was in the West End and that's really how her and I 
did get to form a close friendship. And um, I just liked her outlook. She was so young, you know, she was so with it. And I just, there was everything about her I respected. You know, she was, she was a strong, independent lady, but she was this cutie, feminine, wonderful human being who you couldn't help but be drawn to and in, and in my case, fall in love with. She was a toughie. She was, she was, there's no doubt about it. I mean, you know, Barbara didn't survive in show business the, the way she did by being soft on the inners. You know, she was a real survivor. And I, and I think, you know, if you, you look back at Barbara's life, you have to see she was this only child. Um, as she said, her parents got divorced. She was put in the middle of it all. She was called up in court to give evidence against her dad who walked past her outside court and completely cut her dead. So so th- this little girl kind of went through her life having to survive. I always knew that from the minute I met her. So w- when it was out there that you were a couple, you were an item, what was the reaction like from, from people who knew you and people who didn't know you? Right, interesting. Um, first of all, I suppose, you know, you start with a family. And I remember where I told mum and dad, we'd actually gone to see Brian Hall doing... a. Uh, an episode, I think he was doing Birds of a Feather, which kind of relates to Barbara as well because he was at that dinner. And I sat there and mum and dad were sitting in the audience with me and I, and I said, look, I've got something to tell you. <laughs> I've got they, a new girlfriend. Yeah. And they said, um, yeah, we know, it's Barbara, oh. isn't it? So I said, yeah. And, and they said, are you happy? And I said, I've never been so happy. And they said, well, that's all that matters to us, Scott. But you know it's not going to be easy. You're going to face some, you know, challenges, obviously, but that's up to you too. Then it did come come out in the press, obviously. Um, Barbara was in pantomime again. She, I think she was in Stevenage the first year we were together, but no one knew. And I was kind of doubling as the the driver, of course, stroke yeah. dresser, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, yeah, exactly. The so the friend, yeah. yeah. So um, that we we had a call to say that the Sun, I think it was the Sun that had found out, News of the World actually at the time it was the News of the World had found out and they knew that she was in a relationship with this younger man and her second husband was younger as well. So obviously, you know, for for the tabloids it was fantastic, really. It was great fodder. And I remember being petrified. I'd never faced that. You know, I'd been to drama school. I'd done the odd few acting jobs, but I didn't really know what this media world was like. I didn't know what it was like to have cameras uh, suddenly appearing out of nowhere and pointing at you. So we did uh, We did do an article to say, yes, we are together. And I think it was all a bit surreal for me. I remember the morning after... I'm almost positive it was like a New Year's Day or New Year's Eve. I remember I had to be hidden in the theatre because there were journalists trying to get in to get a picture of me, although the news of the world had had the exclusive kind of thing. So I was being hidden. And I can remember I was physically sick. I was so scared about the whole thing because it all took on this completely new light. Up till now, it was this amazing relationship that I'd got into with this incredible lady. You've got to remember she wasn't in EastEnders at the time. So although we walked down the streets and people would still know her and all shout, carry on Babs, 
and everything else, it wasn't quite the magnitude that it became when, once you went into EastEnders, which, which of course, Chris also, you know, you, you had a, a a part in the whole the whole system, a bit of the whole thing being, you know, set up and made public. Um, people's judgment at first was how I expected it to be. Um, there was this unknown actor, twenty six years her junior who looked about, you know, 12 at the time. I mean, she, she thought I was 19. I was actually 29 when we met. And, um, yeah, of course people said things. I, yeah, it's funny how the awful things always stick out in your mind. I, I remember one journalist and he wrote, why is Barbara Windsor a shoulder for misfits with a guy who's got bum fluff where his beard should be? I remember, you know, that those words have stayed in my mind. And the ironic thing was, two weeks after that particular journalist had written that, he was taken into rehab with a crack addiction. <laughs> and I remember the irony of it. And I actually met him about two years later. And uh, I remember we both clinked our glasses. Neither of us should have been drinking. <laughs> and, you know, life is so funny. But yeah, of course, there were people who were going to be cynical about it. And of course, a lot of people said it's never going to last. I, I guess they, you know, at the time, they all felt that they had a point. For me personally, I've always been someone who tries not to judge from the outside. It's very easy for all of us to do it, you know, when we've all been guilty of it. But you just don't know what two people have together. And my life wouldn't have been the same had I, had I not met Barbara. And I, I don't think I would have experienced the depth of love and friendship and being as one with someone that I have. And you ended up, of course, getting married. Yes. And it was your anniversary um, on the 8th of April, on Monday the 8th of April. So yeah. congratulations. How many years Thank married? You. 19 years married, and this will be our 26th year together. Okay, but not without your wobbles, as all relationships have. Absolutely. And you actually separated for a while. We did, we did. It was round about four years into the relationship, five years into the relationship. I guess I'd got lost amongst, because by now Barbara was in EastEnders and she had this like complete um, rejuvenation really of her career. It completely revitalised her career. It was massive at the time. You know, it was her, it was the Mitchell brothers. Everything was going berserk. And and I felt that I was becoming, in a way, this this lost character who was on the outside of everything. And, and I got very lost with that. And, I, and you know, before then, my drinking had accelerated. And um, that's how I coped with this feeling of going to a premiere with the feeling inside of maybe you're not good enough, you're an imposter, you shouldn't be standing here on this red carpet, and you're only standing here because of this lady... And really started struggling with it. I remember I gave up alcohol for the first time. And the thing they say about to people when you give up alcohol is, you know, do you want the good news or the bad news? And they say, you say, okay, what's the bad news? And say, you know, you're going to get your feelings back. <laughs> and what's the good news? You're going to get your feelings back. It's, <laughs> it's like, you know, all that, oh. st all that stuff that you've buried is going to come raising and racing up. So... What I did was I decided in my first year of sobriety that the problem was the relationship and it would be best for me if I removed myself from that relationship. 
I went off to America, you know, to stay with family. And yet the first person I phoned as I touched down in LA was Barbara to say, I'm here, I'm safe. So we never broke that connection. I remember leaving the house just sobbing and I went down to the family before I flew off to America and Barbara was sobbing. And, you know, there was this sense of why are we doing this? But it was me. It was me. We did keep in touch, you know. Barbara is a survivor. She got on with her life. She got out there and had a good time, um, which absolutely killed me. <laughs> you know, I was seeing, I was reading things on the internet. I was phoning her up and saying, what's, what's going on? What's going on? What, what are you doing? What are you doing? Which was none of my business. You know, I'm the one that walked out the door. It shouldn't have been anything to do with me. But I cared for her deeply, and I know she cared for me back. So what's interesting to me about, about that was throughout the whole, your, your huge wobble, your major wobble, yeah. you, you forgot in many ways that Barbara was a toughie because Barbara's been through really bad stuff before. Oh. And so you go and, you go and have your meltdown, yeah. uh, which is entirely understandable. Uh, but she's just, yeah, okay, he'll be back. She, or, he, or he won't be back. I think she most likely thought that, that that was it. But no, she, I wasn't she, coming back. She's, but as we say, she just... She cracks on. Get, she cracks on with life. Yeah, yeah. That has always been Barbara's way. Yeah. That's why it's so difficult for her now. That's why when it came to bringing in carers into the home, to Barbara, that was the hardest thing for her to say. say what do you mean I need people to be with me here? And sometimes I still have to go over that because she'll forget that that's the case. That's the thing about Alzheimer's. It's the cruelest disease because there's no rhyme or reason to it. One minute they're talking very lucidly and everything's fine. And the next minute she'll say to me, have you ever stayed in this house before? How long have we been together? It's something I can't describe because it's, it's ever-changing and you're really powerless to stop it. And you see that person that you absolutely love and adore looking so frightened and so helpless, you know, like a child at times. And all you can do is, is just be there for them. That's all you can really do is, you know, there's times when I just hold her hand and I just try and make eye contact with her and I smile at her and wait for that moment of disorientation to fade a little bit just, just to get her back in the room with me. Because now you have a reason, don't you? So now Scott has a reason to, to you find your significance where it all went pear-shaped in 93 94 when she when she was on eastenders and she was bigger than she ever was on the carry on films for example mm. Mm. you know and you lost your significance and you lost your reason for being uh, this is the entire opposite of that now isn't it yeah totally totally and puts me in a position where people are saying kind of you know really positive things to me. From zero um, to hero yeah. is what you are. And I, and I find, but I'm not a hero. You, you know, there's one thing, no, no, there's, there's one thing that I always think of as well, which is neither Barbara and I are saints or have been saints in our lives. We've both very much had a sense of fun. We've both looked at life in, in, a, in a strange way. I mean, when we first met, we were crazy, although she was 56. You know, we, we were like two mad munchkins running around, partying, <laughs> going everywhere. <laughs> the mad munchkins. <laughs> I like that. The, the, we were. That's exactly what we were. Um, oh, here, they, here they come. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly, yeah. Hide, hide the booze. <laughs> hide everything in front of you. 
but we were, you know, and and I think that's why we clicked. And that's why we got on. That's why I loved Barbara, because, you know, she wasn't my generation, but she certainly had the same mentality. And and her whole outlook to life was, you, you've got to have fun. You've, you've got to keep living. You've got to get on with it. And that's what I look at now, you know, Chris, is that when I'm in those moments with her where she just looks so vulnerable and fragile. at times fragile yeah. And, and, yeah, and I, and I just, I look at her and I think back on her life and I'm so pleased that she did everything that she did. Barbara had a whale of a time. You know, let's not kid ourselves. She she took the moments. She lived her life because now when she's in that moment of confusion, none of it matters. I'm glad that she had that moment. I hope she had the best possible times all through her life because it's all irrelevant when you get to something like this. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. When was the first time you noticed something was wrong? I first noticed just before she left EastEnders 2010. She was always very good at learning her lines. She'd started to stumble a little bit. A few times that she told me that she'd had a couple of freezes, like blanks on set, which all actors get. We've all seen it'll be all right on the night. But for her, it was different. She said she was suddenly standing doing a scene and she'd just go completely blank for the life of her, didn't know. And she always prided herself. If you talk to anyone who's worked with Barbara, they'd always say she was the ultimate pro. She really was the ultimate pro. She was obviously getting into her early 70s by then, although she always seemed so much younger and she had so much energy that no, none of us ever looked at her like that. You know, that was the thing. We, you know, People always thought of her as, as that giggly carry-on yeah, person yeah. still running around. Timeless, ageless. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Uh, and I said to her one day, I said, look, Bart, I know you love this job and EastEnders has been the most fantastic thing for you ever. Surely you're at a time of life when you should be taking it just a little bit easier. And after a lot of kind of reluctance, she said, "Okay, okay, I'll do it. She was very scared. She's always been worried about money. And when her and I first met, she was in a lot of trouble unbeknown to herself. Um, The pub that she had previously with her second husband was in losing, hemorrhaging money. And then she said to me once, she said, I don't understand every bit of money I do earn, I have to put back into the pub. So I took her to our accountants and turned out she had nearly a million pound debts and it was all in her name. Um, So EastEnders not only, you know, saved her career, it saved her financially. We were going to lose the house in Marylebone. She was going to come and live with me. 
um, which was the other thing that everyone was saying. I was after her money. <laughs> and it was, it, I was offering her a room in my flat. You, you were know? after her debts, <laughs> yes. you pesky man. Exactly. How dare you go after her debts? Like, <laughs> yeah, I wanted to take on that million. <laughs> so, so when did you realise that it was something worse than just getting old, something more, more sinister than getting old? The repetitive stuff started coming in. One of the things I don't think I've really spoken about is I said to her, look, we need to go and see someone about this because you're really, you're starting to repeat things which I think is more than a coincidence. Uh, you do get the things which I've spoken about before which which are objects appearing in strange places, um, losing things, keys, etc., but more so than normal. So we did go and... You know, that's well documented of how we got the diagnosis of, of it. One of the things that I noticed is that her confidence started going terribly. And that would affect her in ways where she wouldn't know what to wear. She couldn't do her makeup. She always did a brilliant makeup and was always able to turn herself out as Barbara. And I, I found that more and more I was having to, if we were going out somewhere special, you know, have the makeup artist in for her who she used the whole time, Gary. She just lost confidence and these panic attacks started coming in. So just before we'd go out for an evening, we'd go through this situation where I'd suddenly have to help her start choosing an outfit and then she'd suddenly just burst into tears and say, I, I, can't, I can't go out, I don't want to see people. That, that is a big part that I haven't spoken about that this illness did to her before this awful kind of confusion has taken hold now. Did it slowly start to break her personality down? Yes, it did. She lost her sense of that fun and that joyful thing that Barbara had. Joyful certainty. Yeah. Because I've been out with you. And yes, I, yeah. And when you were with her, you know, they, she was just certain... You, there's Barbara Windsor. There's 100% of Barbara Windsor. Outside, yes. inside, it's there, it's done. And suddenly there were little cracks. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely, and and almost like a slight sadness I felt yeah, yeah. came over her. Yeah. That's what it was, and seriousness came over, and she was just slightly distant, yeah. and you could see it. I, there was something went from her eyes. Yeah. I knew, I knew, I just used to look at her, and I just used to think, something's gone, Barbara, Sun, something has gone, or something is within you mm. that, that is not right. She, be, she began to very slowly disappear. Yeah. Yeah, she did. And and she just has slowly and continually just become just a much lesser version, version of... A, a, a diluted version. A diluted version of who Barbara was. It's funny, isn't it? Because people talk about Alzheimer's. Not many of us know enough about it. We should all know more. It's, it's worryingly exponential now, the growth of Alzheimer's. Um but it's not the the obvious glaring mistakes of repetitive conversation or or not being able to do certain things. It's the very very gradual process of that person no longer being here. It's a very 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 long goodbye. Yes, it is. And it you is. don't realise it's ha it's started happening until it's halfway through or a third of the way through. Or... That that's the problem. I, recently, I, I went to the um, Dementia Research Institute and was talking to one of the, the scientists who who works there. She's actually running the marathon. And she was saying that this starts to develop within the body, in the brain, 20 years before they can detect it in a test. That's how early they've worked out 
the curve of the brain starts to deteriorate. That's frightening for all of us, as far as I'm concerned. You, you, you know, and it's not an age thing anymore either. There's a lot of younger people who are being diagnosed with it. Another uh, family that I've met through the dementia revolution, lovely young lady called Carly Peary. Her, her and her two cousins, they're, they're running the marathon. They all have a 50% chance, they have a gene, which means they've got a 50% chance of having this before they're 50. Her mother had it before she was 50 and her grandmother had it before she was 50. So there is so much more to this illness than than we are aware and it, and it is growing. I mean, we know the figures, 850,000 people that we know of are living with it in the UK at the moment. That's 850,000 families watching their loved ones go through this. It's having a devastating effect on the health service. It's people are selling their um, families' properties just to keep them in care. That, that's such a shame. You know... I've, I've got a friend who's a groundsman, right, in, in Windsor. Yeah. And um, his mum passed away two weeks ago. And he had to sell her house, which she wanted him to have yes. for his inter- inheritance with his family. And she wanted him to have it. Yeah. They had to sell the house to pay for the health care and literally... The week she passed away was the week that that sale ran out of money from that sale, and it's just it's a lose lose situation. Yes. So what is is the what is the light on the horizon? Is there anything to to cling on to? Or I I, th- I think the light on the horizon is is that they believe with the correct funding, mm. in the next decade they will have a major breakthrough. And, and and when you when you think of it, Chris. Let's look at other illnesses and none of us want to compare one illness as being worse than the other because they're all horrific for for the person living with the the disease and the families. But we've come a hell of a long way with other diseases because we've funded them, because we've put money into the research for them. At the moment, there is not nearly enough money going into dementia. There, There really isn't. And, you know, I was told by someone at the Alzheimer's Society, that the way they try and pass it off is to say, well, it's a social issue. People are living longer. But it's not. It's a health issue. It is something, obviously, that is happening within us all. If they're saying there can be a major breakthrough, if we can stop future generations going through this, like your children's generation, to not have to witness this with a loved one, then fantastic. I've got two great nephews you know, Nico and Joey. And if I can think that they don't have to go through this, I'd be thrilled if I thought all of us, for whatever little we're doing to try and help this, that we can. And it's it's such a strange illness, you know, not dissimilar to other long-term illnesses, um, uh, chronic, chronic illnesses, because there is a pendulum where the pain and the suffering very quickly swings from the victim to the people who are having to care for the victim. Mm. And in the case of Alzheimer's, often the person who is struck down by it uh, comes to not realise what's happening to them, um, which you wouldn't wish wish on anybody, obviously. But now you wake up every morning, you know, and you, in many ways, have to withstand the suffering more than Barbara does. And it's only going to get worse for you. And she's only going to realise what's happening to her less and less. So the overall narrative for you now is is one day at a time, which is very much, you know, change what you can 
accept what you can't and have the wisdom to know the difference, yeah. which is the serenity prayer, Correct. Uh, which perfectly applies to a way of surviving now, um, but something else. Yeah, I mean, I mean, my plan is that the whole thing about this this past six months with, with this campaign for the dementia revolution, this really has been, at times, quite uncomfortable for me because I know it's doing good, but at the same time, it, it's making me feel totally against who I am and what I've always wanted. So what the plan is for me is once the marathon is over and... You know, I've done the last couple of bits of um, publicity for the dementia revolution. I want to try and go back to being Scott, living Scott's life, you know, just doing what I do, which is looking after Barbara, our life together, my work, and just living. Yeah, You know, I, w- I won't be giving endless updates on Barbara's health. I've done this for a really good reason, is to cause awareness and the feedback has been that that is what it has done. I had a, a lovely message from uh, the website from someone on the Dementia Revolution. She'd read that I'd had a couple of negative comments, you know, how you get these strange people that like to write nasty things on the internet, which I don't normally even look at. And it, I just stumbled across a couple of comments that people thought I was selling stories on Barbara and it should be quiet and I'm angling to get myself a book deal for when she's gone. And the Dementia Revolution crowd, you know, are quite protective of me because they're they're saying thank you for putting this out there, talking about the symptoms, talking about what it's actually like here. And one lady said, thanks to you, Scott, and Barbara's openness, my mum now talks about her Alzheimer's to the family and she never did. Mm. So for all of that, for however uncomfortable I may have felt at times, that just makes it all so worthwhile. But I also feel, yes, it's also time for me to step back. Also, you've got got more important things to do at home. You're forgiven. (laughs) I think you're forgiven. I've got much more important (laughs) things to do, and I also look after June Brown, and, you know, that in itself is... uh... Oh, my! Well, you didn't (laughs) mention that, did you? Blimey, Barbara and June together. Well, that's... Surprised you're still here, pal, to be honest. (laughs) Well, that is it. I do often say to people, I say, you know, when I've been on the phone to June for about an hour and a half... Or she's, yeah, or you've been listening listening, to June. Yeah, and then I come back downstairs, and I've got to take over from the carer. Does the smoke from her face come through the phone? It it certainly does. (laughs) It certainly does, I would imagine it could not. It's like secondary, yeah. Oh, my God. People often say, if you speak to other alcoholics, when they're going through difficult times, you'd often hear other alcoholics say, this isn't what I got sober for. Well, I look at it at the opposite, actually. This is what I got sober for. To be of use and responsible and not run away and not be fearful. Yes, of course, within I'm fearful, but I'm not running. Well, you are running, that's the point. And that's yes. what we're here to talk about. <laughs> Heaven for that. Thank you, Lord. What a beautiful segue. <laughs> Couldn't have wished for it, could you? <laughs> yeah, okay. You're not running away from anything anymore. You're no. running towards something. You're yes. running towards a solution. You're running to, 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 towards a charity. You're running, hopefully, towards the... Well, you are definitely going to run towards the finish line of the London Marathon. Yeah. How close do you think you're going to get to it, Scott? Well, I just don't know. So, on... Uh, Friday, last Friday, I managed 18 miles, which has been my longest distance so far. Well done. Now, first of all, all, sorry, quickly, how was that? Oh, painful. (laughs) 
Painful. That was a mixture of run, jog, yeah. with a few walk breaks I that I that. I just had to put in. It's the first time I've ever put walk breaks into my runs. And I just thought, what a relief. <laughs> you know, why haven't you done this before? Because uh, the odds are I will have to do that on the day because I only started running in mid-October last year. I've never been a runner. And I've really, really taken to it. And I love it. I absolutely love it. And if it wasn't for my old bones and my lower back, you know, I'd be out there every day. But um, I absolutely love what it's done for me health-wise. You know, there's the vanity part of it where I've lost weight and I feel fit. But mentally, it has helped me cope so, so incredibly much, especially, you know, at home. My days are, are kind of groundhog days from four o'clock in the afternoon till 10 o'clock the next well, morning. You're sometimes your minutes are groundhog minutes, aren't they? Minutes, yeah, yeah. Because, because of the repetitive side yeah. of it. But, you know, seven nights a week, seven days a week, I do those hours with Barbara. And I'm, I'm not saying that, say, aren't I wonderful? That's just my reality. You know, that's what I choose for it to be. Um, and I have the carers come in in the daytime to allow me to do my work. I also have a job, believe it or not, and look after some actors. So I, I need a little bit of life. Um, the, the first thing they told me at, at the Alzheimer's Society was, uh, you really are going to have to take care of yourself. You're going to have to look after yourself because it's very common for the carer to be taken down with this and at first I kind of thought yeah 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 fine and as it's gone on I'm beginning to see the the effect it does have on you you can't disappear as well that's the point no that's the whole point because if I if I disappear and if I go under then Barbara's got no chance whatsoever the same as if I pick up a drink Barbara's got no chance whatsoever because believe me responsibility will go out the window and I, I can't afford for that to happen you know I want to continue to run. Now, I doubt if I'll be doing any more marathons in my life. You know, well, who knows? As I say, a day at a time. Wait till you feel the natural high of your own supply come Sunday, April the 28th, pal. Well, Seriously, yeah. that, is, that is the kind of high you've never experienced before. It's completely legal. <laughs> yes. There's only constructive side. There are side effects, but they're all constructive. <laughs> yes. Okay. But, however, I will be going to the pub afterwards, so maybe... Maybe, maybe I'll swerve that one. <laughs> we need one. to part ways then. <laughs> yeah, right. exactly. We'll cross the finishing line at holding hands. <laughs> yes. And then you push me towards the pub and I'll push you back towards Marylebone. That sounds like a, a really good idea <laughs> to me. And Chris, I would love, to, uh, I would really like to thank you as, as well for your incredibly, incredibly generous, unexpected offer to be a part of... Uh, the team in some way, which, no, no, which no. Is, is... Part of the team in every way. In every way, Okay, yeah. so if people want to support you and me and us, okay, we are team... Barbara's Revolutionaries. Barbara's Revolutionaries, that's who we are, everyone. Come yes, on. Virgin Money giving. Come on, yes. And uh, go to that page and look at Barbara's Revolutionaries. You can support us there. Awesome. Please get behind us. How is she today? Well, I can go by yesterday because I didn't see her this morning because she likes to have a, a little lie-in nowadays. She was a bit delicate yesterday. She's, she's got a cold and cough, which I think she most likely got on from me. But it, funny, we went to the theatre during last week, so we had a, a rare occurrence out. And she, she loves that. And I'll tell you, the, the most amazing thing is it's happened two or three times now when we walk into a theatre to take our seats. The audience applaud. It is the most beautiful thing that you've ever felt in your life. It just melts me. There's something about the theatre 
that resonates with inside that woman that is a part of her, that feels natural, that feels at home, that feels safe. Connection. Belonging. Yeah. She, that, that is, it's a really, really strange thing because by the time we get home, and this has happened twice, as we've got out the cab twice, she stands outside the house and I've seen her just go through all this wonderful stuff in a theatre and we stand outside our house and she'll say, why have you brought me to this place? This is where I live with mummy. And it isn't. So she's gone again. Gone again. But an, hour, an hour before in an the theatre. An hour before in the theatre. Yeah, when we went to see 42nd Street, she was tap dancing backstage. <laughs> I'm sure she was auditioning. <laughs> but, but, uh, <laughs> but, you know, that that is the, the kind of harsh... It's almost like schizophrenic yeah. reality yeah. Of, of what we live in yeah. with this illness. And it it's beautiful to see her in her happy place in the theatre and it's heartbreaking and traumatic to see what happens within an hour later. What do you wish for her? I wish for her to not have any pains or fears that I see her going through. I, I wish for her to somehow within there always have a sense of who she was and what she gave to people and, and to know that whatever her doubts were, she was good enough. How much do you love her? You can't put that into words. It's, um, it's just something that's within me. It's part of me. It's part of my soul. It's part of my being, how much I love her. I can't measure it. I can't measure it on anything, Chris. What time are you hoping for? Oh, uh, <laughs> now you're that talking. That you back into the moment, didn't you? Oh, it? now you're talking. Okay. I had no idea about this. I'm such a, no, I'm such a novice. Sub six I, would I, be good, wouldn't sub, it? Sub six would yeah. be good. If it's six and a half, brilliant. I will take it. I will take no, it as it comes. it's all brilliant. It's all brilliant. Sub six, you've got it in you. I hope so. We'll see. We'll Pain see. Pain is temporary. I know. I've already got the osteopath booked in <laughs> yeah. for two days later. All right. It's lovely to see you. Thanks, Chris. Love you, sir. Thanks, mate. Chin, chin. Thank you so much for listening to this, the podcast of the Virgin Radio Breakfast Show. Don't forget you can subscribe and get it every week from wherever you get your podcast and you will never miss the weekly roundup of all the best bits from our Virgin Radio Breakfast Show with Sky.